you may all be seated. We're going to welcome up Jeremy for announcements. Thanks, Josh. Good morning, everybody. If, uh, if you were here last week, uh, this is a nice change up from sitting in the rain. So um, unless you like that, but uh, we're glad you're here with us this morning. And thanks so much for, you know, coming out on a Sunday morning and being able to worship with us and have a hopefully a good time of, of learning and fellowship together. Um, I want to let you guys know about a few things uh, going on this morning, as well as some things going on in the coming weeks. Uh, by the way, um, if I didn't introduce us, I'm Jeremy. I'm on the First Impressions team here at Church in the Valley. And um, if you're a guest, you, if you want to know what some of the stuff, how it goes on this morning and what that looks like, uh, there are um, programs over here to the table to my left. If you didn't get one of those when you came in, you're welcome to grab one of those. Uh, or you can uh, grab a program digitally online at civalhambra.com forward slash Sunday. And that will have all the stuff that we have in person over there, which is our song lyrics for the songs we're singing, as well as our connection card. If there's uh, information you'd like to let us know about, if you're a first or second time guest, or you have uh, prayer requests, or if you're a member and you have information you'd like us to know about or update, you can put all that stuff on the connection card, as well as some opportunities to sign up for that we'll be talking about here in just a second. Um, also, there are going to be baskets uh, to the back middle and to the back left and back right that afterwards you guys can put in, you know, your filled out uh, programmed uh, connection cards as well as your pins afterwards so we can uh, reuse those in the days ahead and so that we can be, you know, uh, getting information from your connection card to be praying for you and, and updating any information that you have there. Um, if you're a guest also, just as a way of thanking you for joining us this morning, there's a book over there uh, with an interesting title. It's called How Good is Good Enough? If you've ever wondered uh, a question about that, like, do you have to be, just be ahead of the curve or, like, better than the people you live with? Or they do it state by state? You know, what does that look like? Uh, that book addresses some of that stuff, and I think it'll be a really helpful read uh, for yourself. And if you've read that before and you'd like to get a copy of that for a friend or family member, we'd love for you to take a copy of that as well. Um, next week, May 30th, is going to be uh, Rick Durst's uh, last regular Sunday in terms of regularly speaking here as our interim speaker. And we've been really grateful for all the months that he's uh, been volunteering to be an interim speaker here in the months ahead. And he might be speaking from time to time in the future. Uh, it just won't be a regular Sunday to Sunday. Um, but Dr. John Taylor, who's going to be speaking this Sunday, will be our interim speaker uh, throughout this summer. And so we're really grateful that he has uh, given his Sunday to, to come up here uh, each week and, and be leading us in that. And so we're excited for that. So if you see uh, Rick next week when he does speak for his uh, last regular week, um, if you get to talk to him and just thank him for, for all the things he shared with us and all the weeks that he's uh, put in, that would be a really special thing and he'd really be appreciated by that. Um, and speaking of kind of summer as we move into some things, uh, you know, several weeks back we had a lot of you uh, fill out for a couple weeks just things that you were interested in learning about, getting some more training on as we moved into some summer months and uh, change up some rhythms there. And so a couple of things that we're going to be offering going forward this summer um, is we're going to have some different training available for young adults, as well as some different training available uh, for parents. Obviously, there's so many things we could do training on, but, you know, time and resources uh, and only so much. And so those are two big areas we're going to try to hit on this summer. Um, the first kind of young adult uh, training time is going to happen on a Friday evening in June. Uh, the exact time and date uh, will be, you know, to be determined. We'll hopefully let you guys know that here soon, but it'll be a Friday night in June, just so you're aware of that. 
Um, and then the first kind of parenting training time is going to be on Sunday, June 13th. And that's going to be from 4 to 6 p.m. here at the Alhambra. And child care will be provided for that, obviously. And so uh, if nothing else, that'll be, you know, a free date. Um, but I, we think it'll be a lot more helpful than that in that you'll be able to um, have some time to hear from some seasoned parents and be through a panel discussion as well as uh, some roundtable times where you get to uh, hear and ask questions of them. And what we're really hoping uh, that time will really serve as is sort of uh, to begin the conversation um, of how to get some practical help and very specific to your situations help, whether you have kids or you're about to have kids or what that looks like for you. And then that'll in the future weeks in the summer, we're hoping to be able to have some even smaller um, get-togethers where you can get together with some of the people on the panel in a more small group setting, get a meal together and talk to them more, and even get some more individual mentoring and coaching on things you have related to parenting in the weeks ahead after that. Um, I'm going to move to the right. Maybe that one? I'll switch to this one, yes. All right, I'm on this one. And I can also talk really loud. So um, my parents said I never had an inside voice, and I didn't know what that meant until I had kids because they don't have inside voices either. Um, and so that is going to be June 13th. Uh, so we can prepare, you know, for the amount of childcare we need, as well as, um, you know, all the people that are going to be a part. If you're interested in doing that, if you'd like to be a part, if you wouldn't mind marking that on your connection card, that would be really helpful for us. And maybe even jotting down how many kids are going to be there for childcare, if like all your kids or none of your kids or whatever that's going to look like. Um, and so that's going to be two opportunities coming up this summer, more details on those to follow in the weeks ahead. Um, so we're going to sing one more song before Dr. Taylor comes up and shares with us. So let me pray for us, and then we will get move forward. Father, thank you so much for um, the way that you have knit the hearts of different people together uh, here at church to be um, one community. We really do pray for continued um, unity and working together as a team as we move forward. And, and thank you, God, that you have different people at different stages of life um, where people can look ahead at things they can be growing in from people further down the road and as well as have people to run with and people they can be helping who are coming up in that stage. And so I really do pray that we'd be utilizing those in the days ahead. I really pray that you'd be honored through uh, the worship um, that we, we give you today. I pray that it wouldn't just be from our mouths, but it'd really be from our hearts as well. And uh, would you really speak uh, to us and help us to learn how to better apprentice unto you as we move forward today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may all stand up as we sing one last song. Worthy of every song you could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus, the name above every other name 
Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Oh, we live for you. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Worthy of every song you could ever sing. the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes and wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead.
open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. Father, God, we thank you for this day that you've given us to come together and worship with you. Um, Lord, we ask that, we pray that you will help us to truly build our lives around you, to really trust in you in everything that we do. Lord, I pray that you, you will help us to continue to hunger and thirst for you, and I pray that um, you will continue to bless this day that's ahead of us. God, I pray that you will speak to us through Dr. Taylor as he delivers his message to us. Yeah, God, we thank you for everything pray for all these things in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Maybe someone can just grab that stand for me. Thanks. Thank you. Lovely. All right, how are you today? Good. Good. It's lovely to be with you again. And uh, Heidi and I, it's, always, it's a, such a pleasure to come up here and uh, to join with you in worship and fellowship and to uh, just to be in the presence of God. And thanks to the musicians and, and all the people who turn up early and get this place set up and, and put the hard work into making, you know, this this event happened also behind the scenes and with the kids and all of that. So, uh, and I'm just preparing. It's, uh, it's, it's just a blessing to be here. We're going to start right off by reading the scripture for today. It's Isaiah chapter 55. It's only got 13 verses. We're going to read the whole chapter. And uh, so let's start. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come. By wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples, 
Behold, you shall call the nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he have, may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign it shall not be cut off. It's a powerful passage. And you know, this comes from the 8th century BC, the prophet of Israel. And I don't know if you noticed that when we're reading that text, which you have in your bulletin, but, but that passage is written in poetic form. And, uh, and so this is an 8th century prophetic poet whose message resonates with us, 8th century BC, prophetic poet, whose re message resonates with us today absolutely powerfully because his God is our God, the God of everything, of the universe, and people are still the same. And so uh, this is an incredibly relevant passage. The, in the context here, this is a, a part of Isaiah where God is talking about, through Isaiah, about pouring out his mercy upon Israel after a time of judgment. And despite their sin, the prophet, first of all, predicts their exile, their banishment from their own land. But he's also predicting their restoration. And this passage is an invitation from God to his wayward people to return to him, to return to the source because he wants to do them good. Are you running hard just to stay still in your life? Are you consuming everything but remaining thirsty and hungry? Is there something there the way you feel like, you know, everything I do seems to end up leaving me more empty, more thirsty, more anxious, more troubled, Return to the source. Return to the source of... First of all, we're going to talk about returning to the source of life. There are, there are two basic invitations in this passage. One is to come to God, come to the Lord, and eat and drink, and we'll talk about that. And the second one is to seek the Lord, and uh, we'll talk about what that means. And these are two parts of the same invitation and then he tells us why we should be doing these things 
Now, in the text that we read in the first verse of Isaiah 51, it uses the ESV, English Standard Version, which we used, uses the word come four times. Actually, the first one isn't there in the Hebrew text, which is originally written in Hebrew. And so the first one, actually, the Hebrew word hoy, uh, we'll just say ahoy. Uh, it's a way of getting attention. It's a Hebrew word which is sometimes used at the start of a woe. A prophet, is, a prophet is going to say, whoa, you know, watch out. But this one is an attention-getting word saying, hoy. That's what it is. In other words, listen up. This is very, very important. But even, even without that one, there's still three times in this verse that he uses the word come. Although, and the Hebrew word for this come uh, is, is the word for, for walking. It means to travel or walk or, or come or go in some context. It's an invitation to movement because you are invited to the feast with God is what he's saying. Verse 1 then is for everyone who is longing, everyone who is thirsty, everyone who has no resources those who are spiritually poor and know it, who know their own spiritual poverty, those who are desperate. This is an invitation from God himself to come to him, to drink and to eat. God wants to meet you and supply all that you need. Now, He's inviting you to the feast. This is, of course, a message to 8th century BC Israel, who are, you know, in the prophetic vision. They're, they're in exile. They have sinned, and God is going to restore them. And it's an invitation to people who've drifted far from God, who've experienced his discipline in their lives, who have been, who spent so long going to the wrong source for their life, for their, for their drink, for their food, going, going everywhere they shouldn't go, following the gods of the people around them, depending on their powerful political allies, doing everything except come to God when he calls them. And now in his desire to have compassion on Israel, He's calling them again and saying, come once, come twice, come three times. This is an invitation to action, to come to God. He's inviting you to his feast. And it, it, this word's so powerful and it applies to us today as well. The surprise here in this verse is in the second part of the verse when he says, come by wine and milk without money and without price. So you're supposed to come to God and you're supposed to buy, but you don't, there's no money, there's no transaction going on here. How can you buy without money and when there's no price tag? What does it mean to buy? And of course the Israelites have been spending their efforts and their money and their time and in looking for life in the wrong places. And he's offering them something absolutely free. Absolutely free. You can't 
you can buy without money. This is something that truly money cannot purchase. There is no price. You know, back, back in the early days of the Beatles pop group, they sang a, you know, a well-known song, Money Can't Buy You Love, and that was all very good. Everybody thought they're all, it's all about love. Oh, yeah, and they sang, all you need is love. And then they went and disappointed us by singing, you know, money, a song about money. What, what, what I really want is money. And it's a cliche, of course, that you can't buy life or love w with money, but we try. But listen, thirsty people go where the water is. Thirsty people go where the water is. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Do you understand your own spiritual poverty? What can you do about it? Are you hungry for reality? Hungry for life? God says, come, come, come. Now, how would you do that? How would you come to the Lord? He's actually going to talk about that as the text goes on. But I'm just thinking about an experience I had when I was in a missionary and we were in London, in, in England there, and I was sent from God, by God to, from Australia to England as a missionary, and my wife Heidi was sent by, by God from, as an, a missionary from uh, Southern California to England, and we met there and married there, but we, at one point we moved to London to do to ministry there, and it was, for me, a big jump up in responsibility. I was supervising a lot more people. I had a lot more work, uh, and there was a lot more pressure there was also pressure of adjusting to a new place. We didn't know people. There was, and we were in those days quite poor, relatively speaking, and uh, a lot of stresses. And it built up and built up where there were so many expectations upon me. And I was just a young leader with uh, a lot to learn. So many expectations that at some point I was starting to say to God, I'm not making it. I'm just not coping. I'm really, really not coping with this. I'm having trouble. I started to recognize my own lack, and I went out with the Lord and just prayed and prayed and talking to God and talking to God and, oh, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me. And I spent, a, I was, it was a morning in prayer just in the local park and just trying to tell God all my troubles, which is good to do, and talk to him about it and, and express my heart to him. I really didn't feel like I was breaking through, but I was praying. That's good. Pray is good. And just on the way back home from that time, I felt the Lord just speak to me. He said, just listen to me. Just listen to me. I've been talking at him for hours, literally, and not seeming like getting anywhere. And I had didn't stop to listen to God. And in this text, that's where this is going to come to. It's going to come to inclining our ear to the Lord and listening to his word. But 
We come to the Lord simply, and it's not that difficult, it's prayer, but prayer is two-way, it's conversation, it's listening as well as talking, it's reading his scripture, it is talking to him and then waiting for his response and listening for his word. So the, that key word then in verse 1 is come, right? Just come and you can eat. In verse 2, start of verse 2, the key word here is why? So why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which doesn't satisfy? Verse 2 is for those people who have resources, who are spending, who are working and they're spending their work and money on the wrong thing. So they're just as spiritually starving and thirsty and malnourished as those who have nothing and know it. People who are on the treadmill of life, working out but going nowhere, running hard just to stay still. By the way, that's my problem with exercise bikes and treadmills. You know, you get on an exercise bicycle and you cycle hard and you go nowhere and there's no journey and uh, yeah and even if you go for a run you end up back at the same place you started after all so one of those things that's my excuse anyway this by the way this interesting uh, there's been a lot of research done on the millennial generation and the post-millennial generation but You've all, you maybe have heard of something called millennial burnout or millennial exhaustion. By the way, it turns out that this is not exclusive to millennials. But it's the feeling of exhaustion that comes from the failure to meet, or the apparent failure to meet expectations. We, we should be living the good life. We should, be live, we should be doing everything right. We should be succeeding in work and play and family and relationships we should be on top of our game and yet we know in our own heart that we're not there and it's just exhausting and it's just burning us out people who are, have resources who are spending and working and but they are working for the wrong things why do you work after all, right? What's the point of work? <laughs> What's the point of all that labor? And this is something I've, I've had to think about a lot in the last few years. As, and even in my own uh, academic research as a professor, I'm just thinking, what does the Bible have to say about work and why we, why we work? And what's the end goal? And the thing that, that really came to me you know, over a few years is this, that ultimately work is an act of love. And is an act of love not to achieve great things for oneself, but to love those we're supporting, to love those we're working with, to love those through whom, through, love those that our work is helping. And a simple act of love but that's for another day we can develop that another day God looks at the way we work and the way we spend our labor the way we spend our money and says why <laughs> why are you doing that do you know why 
Have you thought about it? Of course, when God asks a question, it's a rhetorical question for him. He knows the answer. He knows our hearts. He understands why we are what we are, but he wants to get us to think about this. Why? Because if you're spending for, the, for your labor and your money for that which does not ultimately do good, do that ultimately satisfy, then you're going to end up in burnout, exhaustion, and what the medievals called acedia, A-C-E-D-I-A. It's, that kind, it's a, a medieval, you know, sort of a, a word for that kind of listlessness, that world weariness, that exhaustion, and ultimately apathy that comes with being overburdened and unable to cope. The next part of the verse says a really important word here, listen. He says, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Listen. Actually, in, in the, the Hebrew word for listen here or to hear, shema, and the way the Hebrew is written here, it's, you've got the imperative verb followed by an infinitive, but it, what it does is it basically gives you the same verb twice, listen, listening. And the, the, uh, the way that this is an idiom in Hebrew that basically means, really, listen. Just got to listen, listen, listen. And he says, listen carefully, diligently to me, and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. The first step back to God is with the feet. Come. The, first, the second step back to God is with the ears to listen. Perhaps our famine is a famine of the words of life. Your thirst is a thirst for the presence of God. Your, your hunger is a famine of the words of God, a famine of the words of life. Running on empty, spiritually malnourished, and so, so thirsty, God has a feast for you. I, I just, if I could just tell you how much God longs and wants to fill your life and heart with his presence, with his goodness, with his significance and meaning, with everything that he has for you. Stop running on empty. Come and listen. And as you listen, you'll be, you'll be nourished, you'll be fed, you'll be, you'll be drinking in his word. You'll be able to drink and eat what is good. Now, this is quite difficult for those of us who are just activists. We always want to be doing something, always want to be doing something, always want to be active. And even when we're passive, we're checking our phones, we're doing something, we're, we're, being, we're just filling our life with things instead of coming to God sometimes. So the second part of verse the, sorry, the first part of verse 3 basically repeats what he's just said. He says, incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. What is your spiritual posture? What is your spiritual posture? If you were to put your stance, your posture in a picture towards God in a picture, what would that look like? What would you be doing? Would you be running from him? 
would you be ignoring him and pushing something away? Would you be, or would you be coming to and walking to him and inclining your ear? I discovered what inclining the ear meant uh, when I, through an illness, I lost some hearing, in, a lot of hearing in my left ear. And uh, one of the reasons I got hearing aids this morning. But uh, so uh, my, my right ear still works better, although not perfectly. So in order, sometimes people are talking to me and I can't understand them. So I have to, I have to put my right ear towards and say, speak here, you know. Or if I'm walking with Heidi, my wife, and we go for daily walks uh, and, uh, you know, I say, can you walk on my right? Because I, I, but when I climb my ear to her, I, I put it towards her and I want to just speak here. I really, really want to hear. And uh, to incline your ear to God is being a spiritual posture where you are listening. God, speak to me. You know, this is a God who is not silent. This is a God who speaks. And we're reading his word already today in Isaiah. Stop. Listen to the Lord. One of the things that stops us listening from the Lord is listening to the Lord is you know, our device exhaustion and entertainment addiction. We're just searching, we're just consuming information and consuming entertainment. I know this, it's, it's easy for me to go this way too. But God's promise to Israel here, and it's also his promise to us today, is this. If you incline your ear and come to him and hear, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be life in your soul. You're going to, your soul will live. This is a restoration indeed. Stop to listen to the Lord. Do you ever do that? Your soul will come back to life. You will live. Come to the source of life. Return to the source of life where life is found. And in three Sorry, in, in Isaiah 55, verse 3, second part of the verse, he makes a promise all the way down to verse 5. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, sure, steadfast, sure love for David. I made him a witness to the peoples, meaning the Gentiles, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you don't know, and a nation that doesn't know you shall return, shall run to you because the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. This is saying to Israel, I'm making you a covenant. It's the same covenant, the same kind of covenant, if you like, that I made with David, your ideal king. I made him a witness to the Gentiles, to the nations, and a leader and commander for the peoples. And I'm going to covenant with you that you shall call nations you don't know. And nations that you don't know will run to you. This is God saying to Israel, you're going to be, like David, a witness to the peoples. You're going to speak to them the word of God, and they're going to come to you. This is the mission imperative already in the Old Testament. It's fulfilled in the New through the gospel and the coming of Christ and the Great Commission. God, this covenant with David comes all the way back to Second Samuel 7. Uh, where the prophet Nathan uh, says to David, 
In verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I'll raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. By the way, that's covenant language. Whenever you read in the Old Testament, I'll be your fa father, you'll be my son, or I'll be your God, you'll be my people. That's covenant language. And in Psalm 89, kind of really talks about the covenant of God to David. Uh, in verse 3 and 4, it says, You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn to David my servant. I will establish your seed forever. I'll build your throne for all generations. So this is God's covenant with David. It's in 2 Samuel 7. It's in Psalm 89. It says in verse 20 of the same Psalm, I found David my servant with my holy oil. I've anointed him. And it's going to talk about how he's going to uh, exalt David and he's going to be, if we went through the psalm, he's going to uh, you know, be ruler over nations. In verse 26, he shall cry to me, this is of Psalm 89, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the king of kings of the earth. Now this, of course, is written well after David was actually alive but it's talking about David and his descendants David and his seed if you like David and his the one who would be the the son of David through whom these promises would be fulfilled of course we know that's Jesus and in this passage then in Isaiah 55 God is drawing Israel into his covenant with David that they will be a witness to the nations who don't know God and nations will respond because God will draw them through his blessing upon Israel. And it happens through the Messiah, through the anointed one, that is Jesus Christ. Israel's purpose and life, and let me say this, the church's purpose and life, and your personal purpose and life is, is found in sharing in this same covenant, the covenant that a descendant of David would rule the world forever and that descendant is Jesus Christ himself. That is where life is meant to be lived, in extending the rule of God, the kingdom of God, we'll say, in New Testament language, to the, extending the, the rule of God, the kingdom of God, to the nations of the world. That's where life's meant to be lived. Or in the words of, in the, in the spirit of Genesis 12, 1 to 3, where God spoke to Abraham about his blessing upon Abraham and his family and to the nations, we are blessed to be a blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing. God has a purpose for his people and for you. Once you've learned to come to him and to listen, come to him and listen because he wants to meet your needs and he wants to send you out, to give you a purpose. Just like in Mark 3, 15, where Jesus calls his disciples, his apostles there to be with him, and to be set out to preach and have authority over unclean spirits. They're, they had a, a witness that had to be there in their lives before they could be sent out. And it's the same here in Isaiah 55. We have to come to him to listen to him, to return to the source so that he may give us, make us part of his, of his incredible purpose to expand his kingdom to the nations of the world. This is not a purposeless existence. It's not a passive 
a life that he's calling us to where we just spend all our lives listening. It's a life of purpose. It's a life filled with the presence of God. The second part of our passage here starts in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and their unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Return to the source of life. That was our first part of this passage as we come and listen and feast with the Lord and find our purpose in sharing his gospel and taking his kingdom into the world. The second part is return to the source of compassion. Seek the Lord and call upon him. Are these two verbs that are used here, right? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. These things are basically in what we call synonymous parallelism. It's two ways. In, in Hebrew poetry, ancient Hebrew poetry, there's all, you can tell it's poetic because they keep putting things in, in pairs, parallel statements. Sometimes the parallels are synonymous. They're both, both saying the same thing. Sometimes they're antithetical. There's a, you know, th this but that. And so there's a kind of contrast in this poetic, in the poetic form. Sometimes it's a, a synthetic parallelism when the second line builds upon the first. And this one, I think, is probably synonymous or a little synthetic. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. It's basically two ways of saying the same thing. And yet there's interesting nuances as well. Seek the Lord. Well, what does that even mean? Seek the Lord. Where is he? <laughs> Have you lost him? Seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he's near. Where is he? How do you seek God? And by the way, if God seems far away, guess who moved, right? If God seems far away, guess who moved? It wasn't him. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29, he says to Israel, you, from there, you will, when, when you go into exile after you've sinned, you will seek the Lord, after your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and all your soul. Seeking the Lord is a very purposeful, intense and intentional activity. God is, in, in Isaiah 55, God is giving Israel and us today the opportunity of a lifetime, or Perhaps we could call it the opportunity of life. He is saying to them that he's indeed near, that he indeed can be found if they will call upon him and seek him. What does it mean to seek the Lord? You know, when I was a young Christian, I, I, heard pass I read passages like this, and I, I honestly, I made a big mistake. I thought what it really meant was to, literally to have a vision of God. Uh, that's, I was a young Christian. I didn't really know much about the Bible, and I was... I was uh, I'd, I'd been an atheist. I got converted while I was at college at the age of 19. And, and, uh, and so I was, I was just discovering and, and I discovered that people had visions in the Bible like Isaiah did in, in chapter 6. And, and then I read some books about very spiritual people who had met with Jesus and had all these visions. So I thought that seeking God meant uh, I needed to have a, a literal eyes open vision of Jesus, you know, before me. And that was like the spiritual, the, the, the epitome and the, the goal of spiritual life. So uh, I, I used to have my prayer times in my car. It was, was parked. I'd just go and sit in my car 
And I was, I, I was there praying, oh God, come on, reveal yourself to me. I'm seeking you, here I am. And I, I came away from an hour of prayer, just disappointed because I, I, Jesus hadn't turned up in the front seat of my car and next to me and talked to me. Uh, I, I've just, you know, and, it's, and it still hasn't happened, honestly. So I'm, uh, I, I've discovered it's not like that for most of us. Seeking the Lord is an intentional approaching God prayer, through listening, through coming, and in this passage, through repentance. See, what's the alternative? Where else are we going for life or from compassion? Are we looking for love in all the wrong places? That's usually how we mess up our lives, <laughs> looking for love in all the wrong places. Look. Here he says to Israel and to us, forsake your ways and your thoughts and return to the Lord. How do you seek the Lord? You, you return to him and you do it in what the New Testament calls repentance or the Old Testament calls turning or returning. You turn to him, you return to him and you do it by forsaking your ways and your thoughts. Ways and thoughts, what does that mean? It, ways is your habits of life, the way you live, the practices of your life. Are they those things that don't line up with God's word, with God's character? And your thoughts, well, that's your inner life. So not only your outer life, but your inner life needs to come into alignment with God's own inner and with own life and his own practices and his own thoughts. And guess what's going to happen when we come in repentance to God? He will have compassion and he will forgive. That's what it says here. This is what was settled through Jesus. Amen. It's the fact that of Jesus' death on the cross for the sins of the world, including our sins, his resurrection from the dead, this is God himself making a way back to him. It's the door is open. So the next the rest of the passage gives us a threefold basis for this double invitation. We've got a double invitation. Number one, come to the Lord. Number two, seek the Lord, right? The first one is a come and eat and fill and be satisfied to find your, your life and everything that gives meaning and purpose and your, your life in the Lord. And the second is an invitation or if you like a command to seek him to because and to call upon him because he is near because he is ready and this is a call for repentance and and so why should we respond to this double invitation from the lord and there's three things he gives us in verses eight and nine there's the the first point he says is basically this if you want to walk with him you have to walk his way right? If you want to walk with him, you have to walk his way. You have to go where he's going. And he says in verses 8 and 9, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Notice, by the way, the progression in reverse parallel here. Uh, thoughts, ways, ways, thoughts in, in these two verses. That's called a chiasm, and for those of you interested, it's kind of reflects the X pattern of the Greek letter key, kind of reverse parallelism, a bit of technical terminology for you there. So uh, chiasm spelt C-H-I-A-S-M. 
There you go. You might see some more of those somewhere, quite common in ancient literature, in oral culture, where they wanted to have patterns in the way they talk and, and did poetry things uh, so that people who were illiterate, someone could, could actually remember this kind of poetry. Now, God accepts you just the way you are. He loves you too much to leave you like that. <laughs> God accepts you just the way you are. You don't have to improve yourself to come to him. You come to him for him to improve you or to transform you. He loves you just, he accepts you. He loves you, accepts you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. That's why repentance is necessary. He can't baptize sin into heaven. God can't permit, if you like, committed sin committed sinners uh, you know, uh, to be given eternal life without seeing repentance. Why is that? Because that will make heaven into hell when sin is set free to multiply forever with no constraints eternally. God wants to walk with, that, with us and that cannot happen if we're going one way and he is going to another. We need to walk his way. It's like walking a dog that's untrained and willful. Have you tried that? Uh, you know, we've, we've, we've got our uh, son and uh, daughter-in-law staying with us this week and uh, uh, we, once or twice we've looked after their dog and, and one of their, their dogs and uh, their dogs are, they're Aussies, uh, Aussie shepherds, but you know, I'm Australian, but uh, these, uh, these dogs are stronger than I am and, and they, to walk with them when they're walking two different directions, it's impossible. Uh, so, uh, of course, California people have solved the problem of, of walking your dog when the dog wants to go one way and the other. They actually walk their dog by putting a dog in a buggy and pushing the buggy around. And we do see this quite a lot down by where we live. And uh, I, I must admit to a bit of a giggle when I see that. Uh, I hope, you know, if that's what you do, you know, good for you. But uh, it's... Uh... Look, some people read this passage... As when he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways not your ways. My thoughts are higher than yours and, and, and ways are higher. Some people read this passage as about God's lofty otherness. Now, you know, we'll, it's the idea that, well, well, we'll never understand him. He's just higher than we are. He thinks differently. He, he lives differently. It's just, it's God's just other and, 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 and we'll never really understand. But that's not really the point of this passage. He says, Repent from your ways and your thoughts. Turn from, forsake your evil ways and thoughts, right? He's going to have compassion on you. He's a God of compassion. And guess what? My thoughts are not your thoughts. The point here is, is fundamentally about God's holiness or his complete goodness of life and thought. So that's why we need to repent or turn away from our own evil ways and thoughts because his thoughts are different we want to walk with God we want to come to him we've got to align our thoughts and our ways with his so when it says it's higher he means better absolutely different it's, it's different from the as the heavens are from the earth so that's the first reason to respond to this double invitation to come and to seek number one then if you want to walk with God you have to go his way because his ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. The second reason is in verses 10 uh, and down and 11. And that is that God's promises will be fulfilled. It talks about how the rain comes down and the snow comes down and they do their job. They water the earth, they produce seed and bread, 
And God's word that goes from his mouth shall not return to him empty. It's going to succeed. The second reason is that God's word never fails. You can trust him. When he promises Israel, I'm going to bring you back from exile. It absolutely is going to happen. When he says, I'm going to bring you into, you know, if, if you should like, well, the way Isaiah does it, so many places in Isaiah, he sees the return from exile as like a new exodus, a second exodus. And uh, they're going to come out of their exile, their banishment, out of their trouble, out of being oppressed, and they're going to come back to the land. God's word never fails. You can trust him. When the Lord says that he will fill you and satisfy you, and he'll do it for free, <laughs> and your soul will live, that he will use you as a witness to the nations, that he will forgive you if you repent and seek him and call upon him. When he says that, it's absolutely certain. What he says will take place just like the rain does not merely bounce back into the cloud but waters the earth and produces green growth and food God's word succeeds and it's always fulfilled the third reason why we need to respond to this double invitation is this in verse 12 and 13 and all of these three passages these three reasons they all start with the word for uh, uh, in in Hebrew key but but it's it's uh, they all start with the same word the three reasons why we should respond uh, into the first half of the chapter in the second half of the chapter all starting with the same word three causal or, or re, it gives us reasons and this is this for you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and the trees of the field shall clap the hand instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress instead of the briar a myrtle and it shall make a name for the Lord an everlasting sign that shall be not, not be cut off the third reason then is that God promises restoration that he promises a return from exile and a release from slavery you see when God's purposes on earth for people are being fulfilled even creation gets excited when God brings Israel back to the promised land the mountains and the hills are going to break forth into singing and the trees are going to clap their hands this is God and creation is lining itself up and celebrating the purposes of God. Now, it's metaphor, right? It's a metaphor. It's poetic imagery. But it's, it's so important. Notice in verse 13 how some of the effects of the curse, all the way back in Genesis 3, are being reversed. Instead of thorns and briars, you get it, cypress and myrtle. That's the pick, you know, because when Adam and Eve sinned, the one of the curses was the ground's going to bring forth thorns and thistles and things. And so this is the kind of picture of a restoration, even of creation, as God's people line up with God's purposes and are restored to what he plans for them. You know, we see this in Romans 8, where Paul says, creation waits with evil longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And it, it talks about how they're, when when creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption when we that is the, the children of God are set free as well as when we are, are raised from the dead I want you to see then uh, that in these well, I'm just going to come to conclusion I want you to see that we've got these three foundations for why we should respond to God's double call. 
But I want you to see there's also a sequence here. Number one, God's ways and thoughts are higher than ours. We are unholy, but he is holy. Number two, he is speaking and returning, calling to return us to the source, to come to the feast, to come for him for life and purpose and forgiveness, to seek him in repentance, and he promises us life and purpose and forgiveness, and this word does not fail. Unlike our inconstancy and failure and unfaithfulness, God himself does not fail, and his word is working in us to bring us to himself. And number three, his then goes to three, his promise of restoration and deliverance for people and creation is being fulfilled and will be. And it all takes place through the son of David, through the servant of the Lord, through Jesus Christ himself. Isaiah 52 is the promise of the coming of the kingdom of God. That's where we get that famous passage, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news to announce that God reigns. God's kingdom is coming. Isaiah 53 is about the suffering servant, how the Messiah, God's, uh, you know, God's Messiah, God's servant, uh, will suffer and die, and that his suffering is for the sins of the world and of Israel, of course, and for the whole world. Isaiah 54 is, Isaiah's, is God's promise of everlasting compassion. And Isaiah 55 is the, recall, is the call to respond to this good news. Come to him. Seek him. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. I want you to notice the last thing I'm going to say. Notice how in this passage, Isaiah 55, are so many action verbs. Come, eat, seek, call. This is a, a passage with built-in application. You know, sometimes we read the Bible and we're looking for an application and the application is, for some passages, know this. That's all you need to apply. Just know it. Because some passages are giving you information that you just need to know is transforming enough to know it. And if you try to make, apply that in a more simplistic way, you end up missing the point. And some passages like this one are pointing us to action. Come, eat, come, listen, seek and call. This is a call to return to the source, to the God who gives us life and a God of compassion and forgiveness. Let's pray. Our dear, dear Lord, our Father, our God, come to you, we come, Lord to listen, to incline our ear, to hear your word, to eat of the richness and the goodness that you give us, to be satisfied in you. We come to seek you, to call upon you because you're near, because you're ready to forgive and to have compassion. We come Lord, because you have a purpose for our lives. It's much bigger than anything we want for ourselves. We come, Lord, because you've called us 
to yourself and you're good. Your ways are higher than ours and we want to give up our own ways and thoughts and start to walk with you. We come, our Lord, because you're good, because of your death and resurrection, because we can know you. And here we are today. Jesus. Thank you, Dr. Taylor. Um, feel free to take this time to reflect and pray and see how we can all apply message of really coming to God, seeking God, um, take this time to really um, talk to him. If there's anything going on with your life, if there's anything that you want to repent, so yeah, feel free to take this time to reflect and come to him.
Savior, 
for coming to church and we hope that you have a blessed day and week and you're all dismissed.